Almighty God and Father, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. When my mother passed away many years ago, my sister and I noticed our father beginning to withdraw from us. We weren't sure why, but it was almost as if he was not sure how to relate to us in the absence of our mother. I, I didn't hold it against him. The loss of our mother was a great blow to him, as it was to my sister and to me. And every member of a family is important. Every family member matters. But I learned that, in my family at least, my mother was kind of like the glue that held everyone together. And after she was gone, the family just sort of cratered. I didn't realize that, and my sister didn't realize it until she was gone. And down through the years, I've asked myself from time to time, Is, was that normal? Does that happen? Is it common? Or were we unique as a family? And I found other people have written about the very same thing. These are some comments, an article written by a woman. And she asked, is it common for a family to fall apart after there's been a death? She writes, the death was of my grandfather's second wife. Looking back, I think she was the glue that kept my brothers and me together. Since her passing three years ago, our families become a mere shadow of what it once was. Another woman writes, this is very common. Both of my parents have died, and since then, it's been two years now, I've never even seen my mother's side of the family. And another writes, some families grow together, Others grow apart. It really depends on how the family deals with death and with grieving. So in some families at least, there is one person who more than anyone else really holds the family unit together. And you may not realize that until after they're gone. That brings us to Roman number one in the sermon outline. This is on page nine of your worship bulletin. When families do not endure, and, and the key word here is what I call detachment. You know, people become detached from family for a variety of reasons. Letter A, death intervenes, as we've been saying. It happens. But B, life intervenes as well. Employment may take you away 
from family and, and reduce your contact, your involvement with, with family. And a woman writing in Psychology Today magazine wrote this, after my mom passed away, we sort of, my siblings and I, lost our center. As our separate families grew, each of us siblings made our own holiday plans. As a result, we lost our time together as an extended family. You see, in that case, the extended family sort of gives way to the new families that are cropping up in its wake. And then let her see, sin intervenes. Sin intervenes. You know, family, marriage and family is the source of our greatest joys in life and also our deepest hurts. We hurt those who are closest to us. And divorce happens, it shouldn't, but it does. Families fracture. And as the influence of the family declines in our culture, individuals begin looking outside the family. They, they look to other places for identity. It could be some cause or, or some, some movement. And I've read, I think there's not much debate that Americans are becoming more tribalistic than ever before. What that means is we gather together in groups in opposition to other groups that we view as a threat. That's, that's tribalism. And we identify ourselves increasingly by such movements, such groups. And then there's the very noxious forms of, of family, sort of family substitutes, uh, street gangs, uh, the mafia, and so on. These organizations are, are, are composed of, of people, not always, but, but many people who have had little or no connection with a family of origin, and, and they're seeking that connection elsewhere in, in criminality, among other things. This is the summary of part one. Your family of origin may have been very nurturing. It may have been very supportive. It may have been blessed by God in a variety of ways, but that will not stop death from destroying it. It'll happen. We are our own worst enemies in this regard as well. The greatest threat to my family is, is not the devil, it's not the world, it's me. It's my own sinful nature. And that's why even the most successful families eventually pass away. So Roman numeral two, let's talk about the family you were born for. And, and the key word here is what I call reattachment. Reattachment. Letter A, the disciples of Jesus are really his surrogate family. They are his alternative family. Throughout his ministry, his mother had questions about him. His brothers really rejected him. The disciples were his family. Jesus said this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He also said, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They left their wives, they left their children, they left their businesses, they left their places of employment. And let me ask you this, if you've walked away from your business for three years, what business is there to go back to? If you've been gone from your job for three years, is there a job waiting for you if this doesn't work out? You know, last Sunday in our gospel reading from John, also from John 14, Jesus told his disciples that he's going away. He's leaving them. He's going to prepare a place for them. That means he's going to the cross where he will earn our salvation, our place in heaven, and he will rise from the dead. But he's leaving them. These men who've given up everything for him, they listen to these words that he's departing, and this departure is, involves death, and, and, and death, as you and I know from experience, involves permanent separation. And so you really can't blame these men if they're feeling a little bit orphaned. They're feeling like orphans, and, and that's why Jesus, in our gospel reading for this morning, he says this, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not do it. And his leaving them will not be like the death of a parent. It will not be like the death of a spouse. It will not have that finality attached to it. No, he says in this very same verse, I will come to you. I will come. And commentators scratch their heads wondering, what does he mean by that? Does he mean resurrection appearances? He'll come back several times and they'll see him alive again from the dead? Does it mean that he will come through the giving of his spirit? That his spirit will remind the disciples of everything that he has said to them? Or does it refer to his coming again at the end of the world? When, when he comes in glory. Is that what he means by coming again? And the answer, I believe, is yes. It's really all of those. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is spoken of throughout Scripture as the one who comes. That's how he's repeatedly looked forward to in the Old Testament. He's called the coming one. And that's how he's referred to also in the Gospel of John, when, when Martha says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus is what we might call the manward side of God. He is the God who comes to us, he comes for us, doing what only he can do. He alone accomplishes our salvation. He alone rises from the dead, ensuring our own resurrection as well. So, letter B. Ordinarily, death destroys families, but the death of Jesus, and you have to look at his death together with his resurrection there, they go together. The death of Jesus creates his family. I love that scene in Luke chapter 24. 
it's the afternoon of the first Easter and these two disciples, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're, they're leaving the other disciples. For all we know, they're going back to their business if they can. They're walking to Emmaus and, and our Lord appears among them, but their eyes are held back from recognizing him. They finally recognize him. Their eyes are opened by God in the breaking of the bread. They go back to Jerusalem. They rejoin the disciples, you see, and they say, it's true, the Lord is alive. He's appeared to Peter. You see, when they believed Jesus was dead, they were leaving the other disciples. They were scattering. But once they knew he was alive, they came back together and they remained together until he empowered them through the Spirit and sent them forth into the world. His death earns our forgiveness, which binds us together, and his resurrection keeps us together and forms us as his body, the church. So, unlike the departure of a parent, unlike the death of a spouse, Christ's departure is not destructive of his family. Christ's departure creates his family because, number one, his departure is an intensification of his presence. It only intensifies his presence. Jesus said this, in our gospel reading for today, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, Jesus dwells in you. He dwells in you. And so, you can't get any closer to him than that. Even if he were standing here in the flesh, staring you in the face, he wouldn't be as close to you as when he dwells in you. Christ now lives in you, and that makes you, and that makes me, members of his body. We are his organs in the world today. That's an intensification of his presence. And number two, the Spirit comes to make Jesus known to us. He makes Christ known to us. Jesus said of the Spirit later in the Gospel, He says, He, the Spirit, will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them all now. The Spirit will make it plain to you later. He reveals Christ to us. And let her see, love expresses itself in obedience in obedience and loyalty. He can't help but to do that. Jesus said in verse 15 of our gospel reading, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, don't take that as an ultimatum. Take it as a promise. It's, it's gospel. It, it's the way people live who have been gospeled by Christ himself. The scripture says, we love because he first loved us. And when you love someone, you can't help but to do those things that are pleasing to him or to her. My friends, in this world, we experience detachment. We experience detachment from one another. We experience detachment from our families of origin. But Christ comes to reattach us. He reattaches us 
to himself. And by forgiving all of our sins, he reattaches us to himself and to one another so that we become members of a new family, the body of Christ, the church. St. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1, verse 10. God's plan is to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ Jesus. Christ connects us to himself and to one another through the forgiveness of our sins, which he gives liberally through the preaching of the gospel, through the absolution spoken earlier, through baptism, through the Lord's Supper. All of these divine actions have the promise of forgiveness attached to them. Look it up in the scripture. It's true. And Psalm 68, I, I love the way David foretells the coming of Christ in Psalm 68. It speaks of Christ's reconnecting work. This is what he writes. The father of the fatherless, the protector of widows, is the Lord in his holy habitation. And that holy habitation is the body of Christ, it's the people of God, the church. And then he writes this. God settles the solitary in a home. He settles the solitary in a home. That is to say, to all of us who have become detached, to all of us who've been orphaned in some way or another, Christ himself comes to attach us to himself and to one another. He settles us in a home. That home is the body of Christ himself. And so, to anyone who's been detached, to anyone who's felt orphaned in some way, Jesus says to you, welcome home. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, amen. And we finish the sermon this morning with the hymn, number 556, stanzas 6 through 10.